Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, please, this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, going to finish a series on the active work of God in the life of the believer. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll just read through these verses, if you will. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 6. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, now that's our key this morning. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You're not even in the family. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which, correct, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10. For they, our earthly parents, they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But He, God, chastened us for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised. Thereby, Now, uh, anybody in here would agree with me that chastening doesn't make sense. At least not in the normal way of thinking. The very thought of a, of a God of love constantly at work chastening us just, just rubs us the wrong way. Again, I'll repeat, as children we had the idea that when our parents gave us what we wanted that that proved that they loved us. And when they didn't give us what we wanted that proved that they hated us. We couldn't understand chastening and love at the same time. Our parents may have told us, my dad did, he told me several times, um, uh, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. I only do this because I love you. And I just looked at him, you know. But chastening and correcting us is what God does. And when you're wondering what God is doing, when he seems to be silent, wake up and realize he is working on you. There is, I don't, we want God to bless us and there are great mountain peaks of victory and, and, and blessing. But between those mountain peaks, between those times when God seems to be on your side, there is nothing but constant work on us and God calls it chastening. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at a couple of things. I talked to you about what chastening really means. And if you will, we'll come back to Hebrews, but go to Job chapter 5 and verse 17. Job chapter 5 and verse 17. Job 5.17 says this, Behold, Job 5.17, Behold, happy 
is the man whom God, what's the word? All right, now watch how the Bible interchanges. Your Bible is a dictionary. It's a self-interpreting book. Sometimes the Bible will repeat a phrase using two different words so that you get a bigger meaning for the word. Watch this. Verse 17, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the correction of the Almighty. Instead of correcting, you use chastening to let you know correcting and chastening are just the same concept. Two different words so that you get the best meaning. So what does chastening mean? It means correction, not punishment. Chastening is the teaching and the training of someone, having clear expectations of them, and then carrying out corrective measures when they don't do something right. So I talked to you about the meaning of chastening. I talked to you about the fact of chastening. By the way, whatever you're going through, and I, I pray and I, I sit and sometimes grieve just knowing the surface of what many people go through. But whatever you're going through, let me tell you something, it's not unusual. You may think you're the only one in this deep valley, but it is not unusual whatever you're going through. It is not unusual what somebody else that you know is going through. It is a fact. Every believer experiences the chastening of God in their life. As a matter of fact, it's why there's no boasting in God's kingdom. Because we all go through trouble. There's not somebody who said, man, I got through life without any problems at all. God didn't have to deal with me. There's no boasting in God's kingdom. It is a fact of God's chastening. I've also talked to you about the need for God's chastening in our life. It is desperately needed. Farmers know it is called pruning and weeding. Without pruning, dead leaves, dead branches, and dead fruit will kill the whole plant. If you do not train in a sport, you'll crumble under the real pressure of competition. Without cutting a jewel or a gem, there'll be no beauty in that gem. Without training, a dog or an animal will always do their business where they want to. And you will regret having that animal in your house. <laughs> Without training. And when God chastens us, it is a good thing. It is training. We need God working in our life. Woe is the man, woe is the woman, woe is the teenager that has no work of God in their life, has no time where God takes you and just puts pressure on you and, and, and brings things hard down upon you and runs you through the mill and, and down through the valley and you say, I've never experienced that. You ought to want to because that is the sign of a heavenly father who is working on you and changing you. It was not there. The Bible says you're a bastard. And you're not sons. You may be in church. You may, you may call yourself a Christian. You may look, smell, sound like a Christian. But without chasing in your life, without God constantly humbling you and, and, and correcting you. And don't you feel like you're corrected all the time? Does anybody else in here feel like we just do nothing but a series of mistakes. It's not mistakes, it's wrongs. But you feel like, God, when am I ever going to have a long stretch of just success? It never happens. There is, and when you don't have that, that shame, that guilt when you do wrong, when, and that catching out when you've stepped out of God's will or when you've done things your own way, you don't have that, then you're not a child of God. That ought to wake you up. We've also talked about how God chastens us. And aren't you glad that chastening begins with the Word of God? 
That is how God corrects us right there. The Word of God was given to us for our correction. You ought to be able to read it. It's like reading the rules of the road. Which would you rather? A book to tell you how to turn right or your instructor saying, you did that wrong. <laughs> now, both are needed. You need somebody to tell you. You came into that roundabout too fast. You, you, you missed your lane change. You need somebody to tell you that or else you will die. Amen? God chastens us. and Often, it is the most painful thing you go through. I don't know. Maybe you have easy chastening, but I don't. Talk to us about the purpose and the pain of that chastening. And uh, uh, again, it is not to punish us. Sometimes the pain is present both in punishment and in chastening, but the purpose of that chastening is different than the punishment and, and how it changes us versus condemns us. I talked to you about how to know whether it's chastening or whether it is punishment or whether it is, is just trouble in your life because you live in a cursed world. All kinds of things. But the most, the most thing, let me, let me tell you, one thing I haven't taught you, and that is how to escape t- uh, chastening. Are you ready for this? How do you escape getting in trouble with God? You can't. <laughs> I just had your hopes up. <laughs> Crushed. You see, <clears throat> we, we, we get chastened because by nature we go against God. My nature, your nature, is I don't, I don't do things God's way. So it is, it is going to happen, I'm going to get chastened. You can't escape it. You say, why is this so hard on me? Because God has got something he wants to do in your life and you are fighting him. And there will never be a time where you don't fight him. The goal is to fight him less (laughs) and learn how to surrender and submit. But I'm going to tell you this. Your old flesh will always rise up and go, no. I don't care if you're 97 years old. Now, how do you respond to God's work on you? How do you you get to a place where you, you respond better than you usually do? That's my goal this morning in this message. Teach you how to respond better. Chastening is always going to come at me. I'm always, always, I have a nature that is selfish. I have a nature that is, that is self-centered, that only thinks of me, that really... I mean, I read about the millennials. I make fun of the millennials. I don't have any respect for the millennials. I really don't. The kids that have been born since 2000, 2005, I mean, these kids think the high heaven in their arrogance. They think the world began with them. But guess what? I did too. I had it all figured out when I was 15 years old. My dad was stupid. My mom was wrong. If only they did this and this and this. If only they gave me my freedom. I was just as dense as they are. Amen. It's my nature. I'm saved 35 years. You think my nature's gone away? No, I've been able to learn how to tame it how to work on it, but there's something good about learning how to respond to God trying to still work on me. And let's learn about how to respond better. Father, I pray that you teach us this morning. I'm going to say some things that I know are going to cut deep and going to maybe open our eyes, but may they also bless our hearts and may they help us to sort of relax the tension and to become not so stiff and so rebellious against your work in our life. 
I remember when I was unsaved and I sat in preaching and I sat and I gripped as we stood to sing the end of those invitation songs and I gripped the back of the chair ahead of me and I fought you and I fought you and I fought embarrassment, I fought humiliation, I fought you. So I know what it's like. I know what it's like to know the truth but not give in to it because I'm too, I was too stinking proud. I'm just so glad you patiently brought me back again to church and you gave me a reason to keep coming and you kept pulling on my heart. Now that I'm saved, I'm so glad you don't give up on me either. You keep, no matter how much I resist, you keep working. Thank you for loving a wretch like me. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning and teach us how to respond in the times of chastening. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. You couldn't go through this chapter without a dozen different angles and messages and truths. So this morning, I want to talk to you about ten right responses to chastening right from Hebrews chapter 12 where we've been reading for these past few weeks. And in chapter 12, verse 3, I'll go to verse 2. Start in verse 2. It says this, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto who? What a wonderful name. You know, I, I've been in, um, uh, in Bazi's uh, mobile uh, truck Jim thing. What has he got all along the walls? He's got all these these incredibly physique designed bodies <laughs> of people. I know nothing. I don't know who they are. Some of them are South African athletes and other stuff. But they're to motivate. You're looking at them going, I want to have abs like that. I saw one cheat. Dan, it'd be great. You and I are going to try it one time. You go up there and there's this, this fence and you put your belly up against the fence, and somebody takes a picture and goes, look, I got a six-pack. <laughs> For a brief moment. But, but while you're working out and you're looking at these people, you're saying, I want to be like them. Look unto Jesus. Is where we start. Look unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. Before you think about all your problems, before you think of all of the agony that you have experienced, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood like he did, striving against sin. He is our best example of endurance. You see, he endured two great things here. One is he endured the cross. You know how unjust the cross was for him? He didn't deserve to be up there. The other two thieves up there mocking him. One of them wakes up and says, you know what? We deserve what we get. This man has done nothing amiss. What's he doing up here? Jesus endured the injustice of his cross. He endured the pain of it. I remember how many times I've been at the door and I'm giving the gospel out and I'm telling Jesus died for you. Do you think he felt pain? I'm like, no. You don't think Jesus felt pain? No. No, he felt the pain. 
He endured the pain of the cross. He endured every lash. He endured every beating. He endured the plucking of his beard. He endured the plaiting of the crown. He endured them putting that robe and parading it up in front as the blood coagulated and as the scabs began to form. And then when they ripped that off of his flesh, he endured that. And then when they nailed his hands and his feet to that cross, he stayed on that cross. He endured the pain of that cross. But there's one thing he endured. It blows my mind. He endured me. He endured the contradiction of sin. You ever had anybody, whenever you said something, they contradicted you? That's not right. You're wrong. I mean, you couldn't handle it. Just somebody snapping at you and contradicting and correcting and saying you're wrong and everything you did, Jesus endured the contradiction of us. Remember that. When you're facing the contradiction in your situation and you're going through and you say, this doesn't make sense, God. I don't know what I did to deserve this, God. I don't know what, what this purpose is, God. You're enduring a little bit of what he endured when he endured the cross. That's why we begin with Jesus. That's why we begin with the cross. As a matter of fact, I think if we just stayed on that, we'd get along a lot better than all of our focusing on me, all our focus on our problems. You know, they have big group meetings and they have people come together and they talk about, tell us about your problem. Tell us how was your week. And some of that's important. You've got to talk. But you've got to look unto Jesus if you want to get help. Looking unto Jesus. He endured the cross. He endured the great contradiction of sinners and he accepted it. Here's the key. He accepted it as from the hand of God. Go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. In verse 11. Now look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, Jesus has been surrounded by an, a small army of men who come to bind him and take him to the high priest and ultimately to Pilate. Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it and he smote the high priest, smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus, watch this, then said Jesus unto Peter, well done. Next time aim a little lower. <laughs> That's what I would have said. No. He said, put up thy sword into the sheath the cup which Pilate gives me, shall I not drink? Is that what he said? He said, the cup which my Father hath given me. You know, when he was headed to the cross, who did he see was in charge? Who was the one that was actually bringing him there? His Father. Shall I not drink it? Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 and verse 22. See, a lot of times you get upset because your husband's aggravating you. <laughs> You get upset because the doctors, the treatment's not working. You get upset because your wife just, just can't be fixed. Come on, gentlemen. Don't do it. Don't say amen. You get upset because the kids won't get in line. You get upset because your boss is the biggest idiot who ever walked the face of the earth. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words, Peter preaching. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. So what was at work 
in Jesus' life was the miracle. God was proving that Jesus was Messiah through miracles. Verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of the very same God. The God who became a man and by His power did great miracles. The same power took Him to the cross. Look at what it says. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. Who turned Jesus over to Pilate? Who turned Jesus over to the Sanhedrin? Who turned Jesus over to the crowds? God did. No, no. God turned Jesus over to them. If you and I had been there, we would have cried out, crucify him, wouldn't we? But it was God who was in charge. See, Jesus didn't look at him and go, I hate Herod. No. He wasn't going to fight Herod. He wasn't going to fight Pilate. As a matter of fact, he just said to Pilate, he said, you have no power but what my father gave you. Wow. So, uh, chapter 4, verse 26. Still Acts chapter 4, verse 26. Kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Acts 4.27 Now, for of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Everybody was against Jesus. For to do whatsoever they wanted. Is that what it says? No. They were just doing what thy hand and what thy counsel determined before be done. Well, what's this problem in my life? What are you doing? Is this, is this an enemy that's brought this against me? Is this, what, what is this? You're going to have to go back and look at how Jesus looked at the trouble in his life and learn from it so that when you face it, you know how to do it. He despised the shame I could spend an hour on the attitude of the Christian. What it means is he did not accept the shame. They spit at him. They mocked him. They walked around him. They trumped, they, they trumped their, their, their authority and they said, look at us. We're free. You're on the cross. You're going to die. He sat there and he rejected the shame. He never let it affect him. How many times have you been so embarrassed you wanted to crawl under a rock? Not Jesus. He rejected the shame. He didn't let the embarrassment make him embarrassed. Wow, I'm not there yet. Uh, and he was raised to the right hand of the throne of God. Look, you start to focus on Jesus Christ. That's why we preach Christ. That's why we preach the cross of Christ, because there is so much liberating truth in what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, he was an amazing life, lived among people, healing, raising the dead, ministering, listening teaching, wonderful, but nothing compares to what happened on the cross, and that event teaches us even about how to handle our time of trouble. Secondly, don't despise the chastening. Back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. First thing you do is what? Look unto Jesus. Consider him, lest ye become weary. Verse 5 goes on, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, my son, what's the next word? Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Most people reject God's chastening. They hate it. 
They despise it. And I understand. I mean, look, uh, I think I've told you, uh, when I was a child, when we went to the doctor, it was like going to the vet. My doctor was a butcher in a previous life. He must have been. <laughs> First of all, he would lie to me. I'd say, Dr. McNew, am I getting a shot today? No, 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 no. This thermometer's just going in your rear for another purpose. <laughs> and while I was distracted, wham, came the shot. So that happened so many times, I'd grab my mom. I'd say, Mom's going to give me a shot. No, we got, sh- he's not going to give you a shot. I go, you're lying too. <laughs> What am I getting at? You know, um, uh, you go, I still, I hate going to the doctor, man. <laughs> when that doctor's pulling open that drawer and all those uh, needles are there, I'm ready to run out the door. We're the same. When, when all of a sudden trouble starts coming our way, we flinch, we, we tense up, and we go, no, no, I don't want it. We reject it because the pain. That's a natural reaction. Don't despise it. Um, the um, uh, the modern man, the modern woman, the modern teenager hates straight preaching. They hate somebody standing up here telling on them. They hate somebody standing up here talking about issues that they only talk about in uh, on the television. They only talk about on the radio. The most filthy conversations ever can take place out there. But if I mention some things in here, people are like... <gasps> Because you're doing it. That's why. They, they despise corrective preaching. They get offended at everything. They never take responsibility for their own wrongdoings. They hate anyone who tells them they're doing wrong. <laughs> take somebody driving. Come up to a roundabout. Now slow down. I will. Now, now, now accelerate. I, I'll do it. I, now get changed lanes. Leave me alone. We don't, we don't like anybody correcting us along the way, amen? We don't like it. Normally, we reject any correction. I found that most people spend more their, most of their lives fighting God. They dig their heels in. Uh, the worst thing that happens to them is when they're dragged to church. I hate going to church. And they dig in. And they just don't want to, <laughs> to surrender, submit, or anything. You can try to be angry at God. Let me tell you, it don't work. It doesn't help at all. Some people ignore. I'm not listening. La, 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 la. Some people go deeper into sin. You know, um, when, when God begins to put his hand heavy on your life and take you through the trial that he's designed for your life at that time, how do we normally respond? We reject it. We say no. And we kick and scream. So Paul here in Hebrews chapter 12 says, despise not. Choose before you go into it. You see, don't make light of or treat with contempt or resent it and say, I don't want this. You see, if you knew what you really are like, and you knew what God needed you to be like, you wouldn't be so quick to fight it. But because, as I'll say later, because you really think so highly of yourself, you fight God. Job 5.17 says, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. 
Proverbs 3.12, our, our memory verse this month is, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the Father in whom he delighteth. Decide, all right, God, I'd like to try to go with you. I'd like to roll with it. I'd like to, 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 to stay on the team. I don't want to be put on the sidelines because I'm arguing with the coach all the time. Did I make connection there? A lot of kids never grow up, a lot of adults, Christians, never get into the real fight because they're constantly arguing with the coach. And when I... I didn't do much sports. Most of my sports was tag. I was... Anyway. <laughs> all muscle, just not much of it. Anyway. But the last thing you did was you, that you ever could do if you were going to stay on the team was to argue with the coach. Amen? And too many of us argue when the coach comes in and says, 20 laps will add better. Don't, if, if, if he sees something wrong in you, if God sees something wrong in you and says, go around again, or we're going to take this through this valley again, when he does that, don't react with contempt. And say, I'm not doing it. Don't despise it. We should never consider the chasing of the Lord as a thing of no amount or value. What he's trying to do is of priceless value if you understand his wisdom versus yours. He knows what he's doing. Third, expect chastening. <laughs> Chapter 12, verse 5 goes on. Let's read it again. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges how many sons? All right, expect it. Every son whom he receiveth, expect it. Everyone in God's family experiences chastening, suffering, and troubles from God. Go to 1 John. You're in Hebrews. Go to the right. Find 1 John chapter 3. And verse 13. <laughs> 1 John, to the right, chapter 3 and verse 13. Marvel not. Don't be amazed, my brethren, if the world, what? All right. God left you in the world, put you in the world, set you, uh, set you right in the middle of a perverse and a wicked and adulterous generation that says, now shine, and they hate you. <laughs> You're like, I'm in a job where I'm just, man, it's like surrounded by crocodiles. Well, expect it. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to skip one, come back to it in a minute. 1 Peter chapter 4, since you're so close here. Go back to left. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved. I like how he said that, beloved. It's like that's what a pastor says to his people. He's not saying, all right, bud. He's beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to trial you as though some strange thing happened to you? Didn't you expect it? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Continue going back to the left. Find 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. One more. John 15. Oops, go back here. John 15, 18. Stay in one continuous run. John 15, 18. Hmm. 
Why, if I'm trying to do everything right, can I get a job? Why, if I'm trying to do everything right, did I get fired? Well, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. What's my point? Expect it. You say, but that's the world. Don't forget at whose hand. Who's in charge of what happens in your life? Well, the devil hates me. He sure does. Well, the world hates me. It sure does. But who is the one who is allowing it, who's guiding it, who's orchestrating it in your life? God is. So when you got trouble, take it as corrective by God. Don't take it as punishment. If you're saved, don't take it as punishment. Always take it as, all right, God, you got my attention. You see, if you attempt to live godly, you are going to be offensive in this world. And you might as well just accept it. They're going to turn against you. So be it. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Expect it. If you ever got out of your shell, took your Bible to work, took your Bible to school, took a tract to, to work, and handed out that leaflet, or invited somebody out to, to the anniversary Sunday, or, or told them, hey guys, let me tell you how I got saved. If you ever do that, you'll find spiritual warfare right off the bat. They're not all going to gather and buy popcorn and watch you and clap at the end. Amen? So what are you going to do? Give the gospel out. Give your testimony. Give them a gospel tract. And then when you go away, bloodied and bruised, emotionally, say, Lord, that was good for me. That beat up my pride real good. Amen. Amen. Third, fourth, don't quit. Back there in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 again, we're, gonna, we're just going through this thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Last part it says, Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. A lot of people quit on God. Come to a church that preaches like this, and they, they feel all guilty. So guess where they are next week? At home in bed. Don't like the guilt. <laughs> Come to RU and hear Tony or Dan or Andrew preach and says, it's not disease, it's sin. And then we don't see him again, do we, Tony? So they quit. Don't like it. <laughs> you know, the Bible word there is the word faint, as in collapse. Oh, I just can't handle it. They'd, they'd, rather, they'd rather in their sin than deal with a little bit of guilt, deal with a little bit of pressure from God. You know, when the Bible goes against you, don't close your Bible. Keep reading it. When the preaching is all about you, don't you wish, don't you wish that I didn't tell on you? I've had some of you come up and says, how'd you know, Pastor? Were you in my house? <laughs> you, were, you must have been a fly on my wall. How'd you know about that? I had no idea. I just start like a big shotgun. I just start shooting in every better direction I can. And you start going, how do you know about me? And they quit. You know what Paul said? There was trouble on every side. He was distressed. He was perplexed. He was overwhelmed. He was coming at me from every direction. You know what Paul did? He kept going. Amen. Don't quit. God asked, if you're willing to do all you can to just stay standing, 
you know what Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 6 says, 6, 12 and 13, it says, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. You know what those guys with the rugby ball do when they get the ball? You know what they do? They crawl on the ground, don't they? No, they don't. They've got to stay up. They've got to hold that ball. They keep rolling. People coming around, bashing into them. They're running around looking for somebody to hand it off to, and they just keep standing. The moment they hit the ground, they've got to let release the ball, and somebody else has got to take it. You know what? As a Christian, we have so many people who are dropping the ball, and then we have so many people who won't even pick it up. Stay standing. Stay standing. Don't quit. I'm looking at a bunch of potential quitters. You have no idea how hot the devil will pour it onto you to get you to quit. Where are the men today who are supposed to be standing? You know where most men are? They're sitting in front of, on their couches, watching TV while the world debates transgender bathrooms, while they debate on whether to bring euthanasia into more and more countries in Europe, while they continue to debate same-sex marriage, while they continue to debate perverts adopting children, and while they continue to de- debate the virtues of socialism. While Christians sit in front of their television watching all that stuff and they're not in church, they're not in Bible, they're not soul winning, they're not with their families, they're just stuck on themselves. That's where Christian men are. are, And it's a shame. Terrible shame. We got quitters. By the way, most addictive habit you can get into is quitting. The most addictive habit. Once you start quitting... And you're not forced to stay at something until it is finished. You will usually quit at everything. Amen. You say, what do you mean forced? I mean somebody needs to come behind you, grab the back of your neck, and make you eat your vegetables. 49 years old, still won't eat your veg. <laughs> Amen. We never like being forced to, but until you are made to finish what you start, you'll be a quitter all your life. Amen, amen, and amen. And when mom and dad won't make their kids eat, won't make their kids go to bed, won't make their kids change the channel, won't make their kids leave and, 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 and do from something wrong and start doing right, when they won't make their kids do right, you are raising a quitter. No amen. You know why diets don't work? <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know why diets don't work? Because you quit. Amen. It's not the diet's fault. It's yours. Amen. You know why marriages don't last two years? Because two quitters got married. That's why. Do you know why people keep changing jobs? I don't like my job. Quitter! Amen. I didn't. I haven't liked 99% of my jobs. But my dad taught me one thing. As an unsaved man, he said, don't quit. Wouldn't let me quit when I was in Bible college. He never let me quit, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. That's why friendship is so flimsy and shallow. You haven't accepted my friend request. By the way, quitters and white churches don't grow. This church has been, I and people in this church have invested in countless numbers of people. And they're 
up here. I ain't the best preacher, not the best. I'm the best looking. I don't care what Eric thinks. <laughs> but you know what? It's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of. I mean, good night. We could be out in the open underneath a tree. We could be. We could be in in the Sahara Desert or in a swamp somewhere. We could have a. We're pretty well off. It's not because we don't have a great place to meet. It's not because we don't have a perfect word of God. It's not because we don't understand what the pastor is saying. It's because we've got a bunch of quitters who got offended, who get upset, who just quit. You know what the Bible says? When trouble comes in your life, don't faint. That's where you dig in your heel. That's where you say, I ain't quitting. pastor got me upset today. I ain't leaving. Amen. I know some preachers back home who really try to get people to leave. (laughs) You know what? Now we get to verse 6. There in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he what? All right, so accept chastening. Receive it from the hand of God. Hold your place here. Well, we go to three other verses here. Job chapter 2. Back to Job chapter 2 and verse 10. Job has lost everything and everyone except for his wife. What are you laughing at? In verse 9, it says this, uh, Job chapter 2 and verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still, <laughs> like a knife, man, dost thou re- still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. She's already said, I have. When are you going to do it, Job? Verse 10, But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the unsaved women, as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? As if also in all this did not Job sin with his lips. What's he saying? God's been good to us, and right now God's not being. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Who is, who's coming down on him? Who's taking every one of his kids? Who has burned down his, his crops? Who has stolen all of his cattle? Who's been behind it all? Satan, you're right, but she snuck ahead. It's Satan. But who does Job understand? God. Amen. So what is Job doing? The Lord has given, and the Lord now has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So receive it as as if it came from God. Too many Christian people think they're way, they, way, they think way too highly of themselves. They think they're above chastening. Like they don't need any correction at all. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, as a teacher, as a husband, or as a dad, I've been corrected. Hmm. Married 31 years. You better believe I've been corrected. Sometimes I get corrected from my wife. Sometimes I get corrected from my children. Sometimes I get corrected by other Christians and pastors. And it's a mortifying experience. My wife will come to you, man, you really had a cow today. Man, you laid an egg. You realize what you said? And I go, no, I don't. Oh, my goodness, I didn't know I said that. You know, when you hear from somebody that you did wrong, 
it's grievous, it hurts. It's never pleasant. When I worked for the telephone company and I got a, and I got a little email from my manager saying, see me in my office. I'd go all the way around the building till <laughs> Craig, this is not what we wanted. Uh, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. Weren't you listening? Man, that's humiliating, amen? Um, I thank God for managers who didn't just say, well, we like 2 plus 2 is equal to 7 today. We like that. That's our new, that's our new flavor for today. No, I needed that. If the job's going to get done, I need to be corrected, amen? If, if, if my kids are going to have a better dad, I need to be corrected by mom, amen? If this church is going to have a better pastor, I need sometimes somebody to come alongside and say, Pastor, that wasn't, that wasn't said right. Could have gone a little easier. Maybe you could have smiled more. <laughs> Amen. Because it's not them, it's God working on me. Amen. The secret to speeding up, are you ready? To our spiritual growth is to accept correction. To speed fastest way to spiritual growth is accepting it from the hand of God. As long as you see them as your enemy, as long as you see the one who is causing pain in your life as your problem, the longer you're going to stay a baby. I read this last night. You are only as mature as the number of times you've been corrected. Amen. You are only as mature as the number of times you've been corrected. Do you allow anybody to correct you? We all want to be encouraged, and that's a very important ministry for somebody to come alongside and encourage you. But you know, if all you got was encouragement, you're a spoiled brat, like these seven-year-olds who get prizes for just coming to school. I've learned that the pain of knowing my flaws always outweighs the pain of not knowing them. Did you get what I just said? When somebody reveals my flaws, when trouble reveals a flaw, when pain reveals a flaw in me, that pain is nothing like the pain of not knowing them. Let me take this a little bit further. Endure it. Go to chapter 12, verse 7. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 and verse 7. If ye endure chastening, what does it mean to endure? It means to put up with it. Every day if you have to. It's like you're training. Every day go into training. You know what people do between seasons? Here's this, here's this soccer player, you know. He's, he's working for Roy Keane and he's kicking away. You know, you know what he's doing all the season that he's not uh, out on the pitch and not playing against some other team? Training. Usually six, if not seven days a week. Why do they do that? Constant training to prepare for the matches. Why do we think we can go a week without reading our Bible? Why do we think we can go weeks without going to God and praying? Why do we think we can go weeks if not months without putting our neck on the line and being a, being a gospel witness and an evangelist? Listen, when, 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 when we look at our trouble, we've got to say, batten down the hatches, we're going in. 
Don't faint under it. Because endurance is a very important part of life. In sports, you know, if you don't have endurance, you won't be able to stay in the race. In marriage, you're not going to stay married without endurance. We just love each other, you stinking liar. You did love each other, and you hope to love, right now you want to kill each other. And the only way to keep you from killing each other is endurance, not love. In business, you're not going to manage the hard times without endurance. And you just stay at it, and you stay at it. Many people who start their business, they go three, four, five years never getting a penny out of it. How do they do that? Endurance. Amen? I, I like these guys. Uh, these pilots. You know what they do to fly on that plane? They train in these trainers. They get in these fake cockpits, and they begin to spin them around. And they got a camera on this guy, and they're talking to the guy in there. Sometimes it's a, it's a woman. And that guy has to fly that plane and change its pitch and its direction and watch, the, watch all of the, the um, instruments there while he's flying around, and they increase what is called the G-forces. Because he sometimes, if he is, is flying that plane, has to bank, has to go up, has to go down, and you pass out if you don't have endurance. And so they train them to breathe. They train them to focus. They train them to think so that they, sometimes they have to pull up and they pull nine Gs. And you and I, we pass out after two Gs. And so, and he comes out, there's a hundred million euro airplane you're flying in. They don't want you passing out. Okay? And your marriage is worth the whole world. God doesn't want you quitting. And you've got to endure. You've got to stay to it. You've got to endure. Isn't it important in the Christian life? You know, we're supposed to endure. I wish I, I, I have, I have so many things. In Christian life, we're supposed to endure loneliness. Paul says, only Luke is with me. Wow. Paul didn't quit. We're supposed to endure lack and necessities. Paul said, I've done with nothing. I've learned to have nothing. And he stayed on it. We're supposed to endure the good fight. No matter how hard it gets. We're supposed to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Whatever the devil throws at you, endure Endure persecutions all they that live godly shall suffer persecution, so stay at it. We're supposed to endure sound doctrine. Yeah, boring, unpopular doctrine. Endure it. Amen. If I didn't talk about one of your problems, if I never mentioned you for six months, if I never honored you and what you did for Christ, and you came and you got the book, and you learned the book, and I never said anything funny, I never said anything uplifting, endure it. Amen. Now, I want to be funny, and I want to bless you, and I want to know what you're going through, and I want to know how, and I, and, I, and I want to help you and encourage you. But the Bible says endure sound doctrine because there's so many who've abandoned it, and they have itching ears, and they're sending millions to all these televangelists and all these fakes and frauds out there. We're supposed to endure physical ailments and troubles. Paul said to Timothy, he said, they're often infirmities. Endure temptations. James says, uh, endure the temptations. Whatever test you're going through, keep going. 
Ours is not a life of blessing and ease and no troubles. But ours is a life of endurance. I don't know if you figured it out yet. We've got a different kind of Christianity. It's a gift from God. Psalm 138, verse 8. Hold your place here in Hebrews. Psalm 138, verse 8. This is uh, Weston's life verse, I think. Psalm 138, verse 8 says, The Lord will perfect, perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the work of thine own hands. He's talking about himself. He's saying, don't forsake me, Lord. You're going to perfect that which you started in me. Number seven. Examine yourself during the chastening. Look there again there in verse seven. It says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. Back in Hebrews chapter 12. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Verse 8, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Here's the challenge. Examine yourself when you are going through trouble. Take a good look what you're like. What pressure is revealing about you. What do you like when you're under pressure? What's your attitude? What's your action? What is, how, do, how do you react? What are your goals when you're under pressure? When the disciples, as I gave you the illustration last week, were in the ship and the ship is sinking, Jesus is sleeping and Peter's rebuking Jesus for sleeping in a sinking ship. Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind and the wave, and then he rebukes Peter and he says, where was your faith? What's your faith like under pressure? You know what? It's only hot water that reveals what's inside. Amen? How many got a hot cup of tea today? Tunde does pretty good. It wasn't cold, was it? Can you imagine going over there and he's... And you're going, it's cold coffee. No, you wouldn't like it. There's no flavor in that. Hot water reveals what's inside. What's just below your surface, by the way? The fierce anger? Do I just have to step on your toe for you to go? <sighs> Sharp tongue, harsh words. What about depression? Just have to have one little problem and all of a sudden you're under the covers. You know what? When you have that problem in your life and you're back under the covers, you won't come out, you won't go to church, you won't pick up your Bible, you won't spend any time ministering and serving others. You're just stuck on yourself. That trouble came into your life to reveal what's in you. Amen? Examine yourself and say, this is not what I want to be. This is not what God wants me to be. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the chastening of this trouble in my life that brought depression, that brought discouragement, that brought me to the brink of quitting. But that is what I needed. All of a sudden you go, I thought it was my cereal. I only had Kellogg's this morning. Examine yourselves during chastening. Very important. Number eight. Learn from it. Verse 10 says this, For verily, for a few days, they, our parents, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he chastened us for our profit, our betterment, that we might be partakers of his holiness. You know, the purpose of chastening is not punishment, but always what? Say it louder. Change. Jesus warned Peter and said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. He wants to rip you to shreds. He wants to tear you apart, Peter. 
So I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be a shield around you. I am going to defend you. No, Jesus didn't say that. You know what Jesus said? So I've prayed for you. <laughs> what, Lord? I've prayed for you. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So what is Jesus saying to Peter? Peter, Satan's coming. And when he comes, it's going to be rough. But I'm in control. And when you come out of it, you're going to be a stronger man. And you'll be such a strength and such a help to others. Folks, let me ask you something. How long have you been born again? How's your growth? Are you still like a baby wanting pastor to spoon feed you every Sunday? Pastor, I don't understand it. Can you explain it a little simpler? You still only willing to come on a Sunday morning? And then only when you feel like it? Yeah, come on. This is a church. This is a church body. I'm so glad when I get up in the morning, my right arm and my left arm get up together. They gather around me. <laughs> they stay with me throughout the day. Do you know what? When we have church meetings, the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. And as a church body, are you still a baby that says, well, I'll only go when I feel like it. Well, I'll only go on Sunday morning, but don't ask me to go Sunday night. And definitely don't ask me to go on Wednesday night. You know what talks like that? A baby. You still only griping, complaining about everything like a baby? Never have you gone soul winning? Never have you won a soul yet? Still are you too scared? Still constantly falling into sin? Still constantly giving into temptations? Still, when you stand and you, and you try to walk and you fall, you quit, you cry, and you go home to mom or your wife. Amen? How long are you going to stay like that? Amen? You wonder why troubles come into your life. You know why that trouble comes into your life? To get you to get tired of being a baby. Amen. Number nine. Look at verse 12. Well, verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised. Thereby they experience chastening, and they get some exercise. <laughs> I got lots of exercise when my dad chased me. I gave my mom a lot of exercise because she had to catch me. <laughs> anyway, verse 12. Wherefore, what do you do with somebody who's going through the hard times when God seems to be running them through the mill? Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. How does that describe somebody? Somebody who's just worn out. Feel like they're beat up. Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Hey, lift up each other's drooping hands. Man. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute, about Job's friends, but you, you find out somebody's going through a trial, going through trouble, going through suffering, going through affliction, going through persecution, run to them, pick them up. Carry them, like, like in the military, you never leave soldier behind. You don't shoot, kick, you don't spit at any soldier, you pick them up and you get them out of that war zone. You love on them. You care for them. You, 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 you minister to them. That's how, listen, help each other. You know, there's, there's some of us who've been through enough of this life that we can look around and somebody's hurting and they don't have to say a thing. We can go right there. We know exactly what's going on. We don't have to say a thing and we can minister to them. You can do that. God's taking you through the mill. God's taking you through the valleys. And when you've been through that and you still have joy, it's not for you, it's for somebody else now. Care each other. 
I wonder how many people know about all the burdens out of the world. Are you only worried about Brad Pitt and Jolene and their troubles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if this is a family or if it's just a club. Do we care to each other? Stop closing your eyes to the pains of people going on around us. You can't help them so they don't go through trials, but you can help them through a trial. You know, there are plenty of burdens and plenty of battles going on. You have no idea what's going on. That doesn't mean you have an excuse not to pray for everybody. And you see somebody's not here. Quitter. No, don't say that. Pray for them. Whatever's driving them to quit, you need to pray for because you're next. Make things easy for make Make the things straight. I go, uh, um, go for a hike with uh, Eric. You know, Eric says, you know, we'll go mountain climbing, you know. You know what I like to do? Stay flat plane, man. I just like to take a walk. <laughs> These inclines were made of the devil, amen. But the point is this. When somebody's going through a rough time, go ahead of them and make it easy for them to keep going. Make it easy for them to keep going. Job's friend, you know what Job called his friends? He says, miserable comforters are ye all. <laughs> Amen. Help each other. And lastly, be very weary of bitterness. Still in chapter 12, verse 15. Looking diligently at yourself, lest any man fail of the grace of God, fall out of the grace of God, Stop trusting in the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up now trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. If you're bitter, what it shows is that you've been fighting God's chastening hand in your life. End of story. You're bitter because God's brought trouble in your life, and you're fighting God, <laughs> and you're getting bitter doing it. If you're bitter, stop fighting. Be at peace with how many people? He says there in verse, uh, verse 12, uh, verse 13, make straight paths for your feet, lest they which are lame be turned out of the way. Verse 14, sorry. Follow peace with how many men? Uh, even the ones that hurt you. Be at peace with them. Don't carry a grudge. Don't look at them and go, you hurt me. What you said, what you did, ruin my life! What did we learn? Jesus never said, Pilate, put him on the cross. Jesus never blamed Herod. Jesus never blamed his disciples. He knew God was in charge. So I'd be at peace with all men. You're going to have to get rid of the grudges. You're going to have to just overlook the pain. And you're just going to have to forgive. And you're going to have to look unto Jesus. We're back to where we started, isn't it? See, if you don't start with Jesus, you'll end up bitter. Anybody see that? And be holy. You know what you say when you're mad? I'm going to try not to look at the women. How do you talk when you're angry? Huh? Come on, ladies. You sweet things. Until you're crossed. Be holy. When you're in that valley and when you just want to curse and swear and, and condemn and slash and burn. <laughs> wow. Lord, keep me holy. Stop me from being a tool of the devil. 
Stop me from letting bitterness become not a root, but a tree. Well, you're not a Christian, the Bible says. He says, verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. If you're not worried about people, if you're only seeing them as enemies, that's not a Christian thing at all. Christians don't make enemies. Christians make more Christians. Amen. You know what? Christians don't hate their enemies, don't even want to kill them. We're willing to die for our enemies. So, thank God for everything. Thank God for His Son doing the cross. Thank God that He loves you enough not to leave you alone. Thank God that He has a purpose in making you a better man or a woman than you are naturally. Thank God for all the heartaches, the trials, the afflictions, the pains, knowing that God loves you more than you can ever comprehend. He's doing a good work in you. Your, your nemesis, your enemy, may only have it to destroy you. But they're not the one you have to worry about. I hope you've learned what the word chastening means now. So when you're reading the Bible, it does not mean punishment. It means correction, teaching, change. I hope that you learn that every Christian needs God's chastening in their life. I hope you've learned how God has chastened us through the preaching of the Bible, through our parents, through employers, through hospital visits, and through health. God chastens us in so many different circumstances. And the purpose and the pain of chastening is for me to be like Jesus and know the fellowship of his suffering. And I also talked to you about how we know it's chastening versus punishment, so on and so forth. I hope you learned all that. But more importantly, I hope you have learned to consider Jesus. And that when things aren't focused on you, and things aren't going well for you, focus on Jesus. No longer despise chastening and the trouble in your life. Expect it. Like a guy signed up for Manchester United, he's got to expect all the training he's going to get. He's going to have a coach yelling at him. He's going to have other players jostling against him and, and, and pushing him out of the way. Expect chastening. But I hope you've learned to never quit. I think Christianity is supposed to be something that stays. Amen? I hope you've learned to accept chastening and say, you know, Lord, thank you. Didn't like it. Don't like it. It's grievous. It, 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 it aggravates me. It frustrates me. It angers me. It hurts me. But I accept it and I will endure it for Jesus' sake. Start to, I hope you learn to start examining yourself during the chastening and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Because i got to learn. <laughs> and then change. And then change. It'd be a shame. It'd be a shame if we all went to heaven right now. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be really a shame. But it would be a shame. <laughs> I'd love to go. Rapture! But it'd be a shame. We all went to heaven and then all regretted not letting God work on us and perfect what he tried to do. We became our worst enemy. Make sure we're helping one another. Make sure we, we watch out for one another. We love one another. Carry one another. And beware of bitterness. Because, folks, we don't have much time left. If our lives are going to count for Jesus Christ, it's going to be because he's made us into somebody that he can use. If you're still a baby, only thinking about yourself, if you're still all focused on all your problems, I hope I've moved you out of that comfort zone and for you to say, Lord, I'm getting my thumb out of my, my mouth 
and I'm manning up, and I'm going to thank you. And I'm going to go forward, and I ain't going to quit. I ain't going to quit. I ain't going to quit. Because, Lord, neither are you. Please stand with me and bow your heads. My Father in heaven, you could have been just a God that created everything and then walked away. But even the law of thermodynamics teaches that everything would fall apart. And without you, we're nothing. And when you seek to prune us, sometimes hurt us, it is a blessing. It doesn't make sense. It is a different kind of love than what we grew up with. Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. I don't know why you delight in me. I don't know why you would delight in the likes of us who are trying to follow Jesus. But as you do correct us, and as you do humble us and break us, I pray we're easy to be broken. I pray that we, like that pea bag, start to see the kind of sour flavor that's wrapped up inside of us and needs to get out and be flushed away. And I pray we never forget your perfect love is not always sweet and wonderful. It's tough sometimes. It's painful sometimes. But it's what we need. Lord, the greatest gift on an unsaved man or an unsaved woman in this life is that they've been given another chance this morning to get saved and to get into the family and to be loved by such a perfect Heavenly Father, and to be chastened instead of one day punished. We can't get out of chastening. We will always be corrected. We will always be worked on. But we can escape judgment because your Son took all of the wrath of God, meant against our sin, was poured out on Him if only we would look unto Jesus as our Savior, as the one who died in our place and believed that he still saves. Let somebody cry out unto you and to ask you to have mercy on them and save them today. God, in that same mercy, may we say, thank you for having mercy on me too because I want to live for you, no matter the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>